0: Okay, church. So today, I, if you remember from the introduction that, um, that was given earlier on, I'm actually giving a talk on creation today. And I'm, I'm not from the States, I'm actually from Singapore. So, anyone who has, has been to Singapore? A few of you. Yeah, if you notice, that's why I actually sound a little bit different. I'm from the other side of the world. Okay, and of course, now I'm here in the States, I'm married to my American wife. Um, that's Joyce and my little baby yeah. So this is Creation Ministries International We are an international ministry We exist in um, seven countries All around the world And we specialize in going to churches And equipping church to preach on Creation and evangelism So every year we give over a thousand talks On this subject So that's Creation Ministries International um, We actually have more PhD scientists Than any other Christian organization So Well, what are we? We are an information ministry. And what do I mean by that? Well, I'll come to that in a moment, but let me introduce our website. Well, our website is a little bit hard to remember, so can we try this out? I will count to three and we'll say the website together. Can we do that? One, two, three. Wait. Okay. creation.com. There you go. (laughs) Okay, so I, I explained that we are an information ministry. And what, what do I mean by that? Well, let's put it this way. How many of you here have ever had questions like that? Why can't I see dinosaurs in the Bible? Um, did God use evolution in millions of years? And hasn't science proven millions of years of evolution to be fact? How did all the animals fit on the ark? And if God is a God of love, why is that death and suffering? Can I have a show of hands? If any of you have ever had questions like that, please raise your hands. Okay, do me a favor, just lift your hands up there. Just take a quick look around. Do you see that? That's almost 90% of all hands. And if we are honest with everyone, every one of us have questions like that. And that's what we mean by creation ministries. It's an information ministry. We exist, equip the church with answers to these questions. So that's our website, Creation.com. But before I start the presentation, I would like to introduce you to our free email newsletter. This is called Infobytes. Uh, we will not sell your, informa- your, your email address or your information. This is just to update you with the latest news. So what you do is that if you're interested, just write in your details. Uh, we will have a volunteer coming in in a little while handing these sheets out. So write in your details, your name, and your email address. And this is just to send you an email once a week to update you with the latest news. So why sign up for this? Well, let's say today you go home to your, you know, and you, you open a newspaper and you see, oh, the latest eight man, the latest missing link. And then your neighbor comes along and say, ha, how do you answer that? What do you do? Well, if you are subscribed to your, our Infobytes, our email newsletter, chances are by the end of the week we will have a reply to that. Just forward our reply to your friend. And there you go. So, um, so volunteers, if you would like to come forward to hand out that sign-up sheet, don't worry, we will not spam you. just once a week that we send that. Okay, so now that we have done with that, let me get into my actual presentation. See, if you remember from my introduction earlier on, one of my degrees is actually a degree in evolutionary biology. And when people hear that, they'll always ask me this question. Why would a Christian study evolution? Well, you see, I did my science degrees, two of my science degrees in Australia. And when we were on the street preaching, evangelizing on the street, I was there for four years. Every Saturday, I would be doing street evangelism, three hours every Saturday. And every single week that I was there for those four years, we would always have the same kind of questions. Every single week, we would have at least one question that deals with creation and evolution. And the number two biggest question we would have is this, if God is a God of love, why is there death and suffering? And to answer these two biggest questions, you have to go back to Genesis, because that's where the Bible tells us how God created everything, how death and sin entered the world, and how, um, how that is linked to the cross, what Christ did. Why, why does Christ have to die on the cross? Well, you go back to Genesis. And then, is it just that? No, because there's a future, there's a hope, there's a restoration. So we have to answer these two big questions. We have to go back to see what the Bible says in the book of Genesis. So, well, um, if you go to school or you go to the libraries, what do you learn? Do you learn about creation or evolution? What books do they have? Evolution. evolution, right? So many times it's like this. You see this boy over here? So here he, he, he opens a newspaper and he sees all these things about dinosaurs and millions of years and evolution. He goes to school and his friend Johnny, Johnny tries to reach out to him. But Johnny says this, Look, Jesus died for sinners. The Bible says so. And his friend said, the Bible isn't true. Well, what about eight men? Where do dinosaurs fit in the Bible? What about carbon 14 dating? And could God have created over millions of years? The very same questions that 90% of your hands went up. And does Johnny have any answer? He said, I don't know. Say, see, I told you the Bible isn't true. Friends, do you think Johnny's witnessing will be effective? No. But it's worse than that because now Johnny has all these questions. And he goes home. He said, Mom, Dad, can you answer all these questions? Does he get any answer? No. And that is the sad reality of things. And many times this is what happens. And is there any wonder that this youth leader says this? I used to beat my head against a wall wondering why we lost all our young children at age 16. I realized that age 16 is when they teach evolution in depth in science. Some of the teachers actually identify Christian students and make a special point of explaining the the differences and difficulties in reconciling genesis and the facts of evolution. It's no wonder we lost them. I come near tears thinking about it. And here's a college chaplain. This constant brainwashing destroys the faith of many Christians each year. Our surveys indicate that 80% of first-year students believe in a God who is there. By their second year, only 15% believe in God. Friends, these two quotations that I give you, that's from Australia. In the States, it's worse. Because, why? Because in the States, you learn evolution from fourth grade. And that's why it's not just in Australia, but every major denomination, most major denominations in the States, have similar surveys. 88% of kids who, go, who grew up in church, when they get to college, 88% fall away from the faith, never to return. This is from the Southern Baptist Convention. 70% Lifeway Research, Assembly of God, 61%, George Barna, 61, eh, 61 and 66%. Two-thirds. Is that acceptable? So we need to ask one more question. If two in every three kids who grew up in churches living the faith, why? Well, there are many possible reasons But see, our CEO, Gary Bates, last year he decided to do an experiment. So he went to the colleges in Georgia, that's where our office is, and interviewed hundreds of students. And every one of these students grew up in church. And he asked them a question. Do you believe in creation or evolution? The vast majority said evolution. And then he asked another question. He went to this group that says evolution. He said, has the church ever shown you how science supports the Bible? Every single one said no. And then he asked the next question, do you still attend church? Every single one of those students, except for one, no longer attends church. And then he went to the group that believed in creation. Has your church shown you how science supports the Bible? Every single one said yes. Do you still attend church? And every single one of those students said yes. See, I believe that creation and evolution is the biggest intellectual stumbling block to people coming to the faith. And that's what our surveys show. You see, the Bible says this in 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Friends, is this a request or command? It's a command. So if you are going to be a faithful Christian, you need to equip yourself with answers to defend the faith see many Christians they say this they say oh I just believe the Bible you know what that is so important that has to be our foundation the word of God but it's not enough to just stop there because God commands us to equip ourselves to defend the faith and I hope this is something that you do today that you say yes today I would you'll make the decision I'll equip myself to defend the faith so I can reach out to my friends to my kids and my family you know many times you ask somebody so why Why do you leave the church? And they'll name all these things on the left tree. They'll say, Oh, I disagree with the church view of abortion, I disagree with the church view of gay marriage. I disagree with but that's not the real issue, isn't it? That is a symptom of a much deeper issue. And what is that? The the issue is this can God's word be trusted? What is your authority? Is God's word what tells you is does God tell you what is right and wrong? You see, if there is a creator, so if there is a creator, then God sets the rule. We are His creation. We are answerable to Him. Then God tells us what is right like and what is wrong. And if we believe in a creator, everything on the left just collapses, just like that. So why do we even speak about creation and evolution? Because we're dealing with this much deeper question: Can God's word be trusted? You see, I'm going to talk a little bit about science today. But before I begin, um, there are actually two kinds of science. See, what do I mean by that? What do you think when I say the word science? Well, if you are like most of us, like me, when I think of science, I think of technology, I think of things like laptops, microphones, airplanes. Well, that uh, operates in what we call operational science. See, operational science, you're talking about science that's in the present, science that's observable, science that is repeatable, and science that is testable. What do I mean? Let me try to illustrate that. So here I have two balls, one big and one small. If I throw this together at the same time, which will hit the floor first? Who says the big ball? Who says the small? Who says the same? Let's give it a try, shall we? What's the answer? Well, if you're not sure, what can you do? Just do it over and over again. And that's what I mean by operational science. It's in the present, it's observable, and you can repeat it over and over again. But you see, when we're speaking about evolution and creation, we're dealing with a very different kind of science. We're dealing with what we call historical science, or even forensic science. So what's the difference? Well, with historical science, we're dealing with something that's not in the present, something that's not observable, not repeatable, and not testable. What do I mean? You see, I grew up in Singapore. And Singapore, in World War II, was under the Japanese occupation, right? So we were conquered by the Japanese. And my grandmother would tell me all kinds of stories of what it was like under them. Well, put it this way. If I want to find out if World War II and that Singapore was under the Japanese occupation, what can I do? Well, I can go to the library. I can interview eyewitness accounts. But these are things i are in the present. See, I cannot go back to the past to do an experiment and see if what happened, uh, back, see everything happening back then, just as you saw with the operational science. So when it comes to historical science, our worldview, our presupposition, play a much bigger role in the way we interpret the evidence. So people think that data speaks for itself. It doesn't. It's always interpreted. And I'll just show you what I mean. But see, in a moment's time, I'm going to speak a little bit about fossils, And what's a fossil? Well, it's just a sign of something that was once alive or once there. But you see, let me ask you this question. Who has more evidence, the creationist or the evolutionist? I want everyone to participate in this, okay? So you have to raise your hand. Who says the creationist has more evidence? Who says evolution has more evidence? Who says the same? Who says, I don't know? Some of you. Well, let me phrase this again. Two scientists, one creationist, one evolutionist. When they're looking at a fossil, are they looking at the same fossil or different fossil? Same. Two astronomers, one creationist, one one evolutionist. When they're looking at a star, are they looking at the same star or different star? Same. So let me ask you the same question again. Who has more evidence, creation or evolution? Same? Still not sure? Let me try to phrase this in a different way. So here I have a fact. There are two semicircles there. What's missing and how did this originally look like? So again, everyone, please choose something. Who thinks it's A? Who thinks it's B? C? D? Most of you D and some people um, happy faces, yeah? (laughs) Do you want to know the answer? Nothing. You said, I tricked you, but that's my point. Why did you think something was missing? Because I, I gave you this assumption that something was missing. So whichever one of those four options you pick, your conclusion will be entirely consistent with the evidence. But because you had the wrong starting point, the wrong worldview, you interpret the evidence wrongly. And that's what we mean when we deal with creation and evolution. We have the same data but because we look at it from different starting points, we come to different conclusions. You see, um, evolutionists, they look at the rock layers, they look at the fossils and say, oh, that's evidence for millions of years, death, suffering, disease. But can I encourage you to put on biblical glasses? Start from the Bible, use that as a worldview, and then look at the same evidence again. I believe when you do that, you see that the same evidence actually supports the idea of 6,000 years' creation created kinds, no death before the fall, six days creation. The same evidence will make much more sense in the light of, biblical, um, in light of the Bible. So how many of you here have been to the Grand Canyon? There's a lot of you. Do you see all these rock layers here? Do you see the millions of years there? No, what you're looking at is rock layers. The millions of years is the, interpret- the interpretation that has been attached to those rock layers. So we need to take a step back and say, okay, what is the actual evidence and what is the interpretation? You see, when I look at the Grand Canyon, I see those rock layers and all the fossils in there. I see evidence for creation. Why? Well, what are in those rock layers? Sedimentary rock. Fossils. Sedimentary rock laid down by water. But, so you know, evolutionists, I look at that, and you know, sedimentary rock is on every mountain range in the world, including, including Mount Everest the top of Mount Everest is covered with marine fossils, inclu- including clams. Like that. You know, evolutionists, they will agree, they will say that Mount Everest was once under the ocean, over millions of years, it's slowly being pushed up. Well, when we start with the word of God, can you think of an event that would cause all this mountain range to have marine creatures? Now, what's that? So, you see, two different worldviews with the same evidence. So who is right? Well, when I look at fossil clams, how many of you here have ever cooked clams? Some of you? When you cook them, do they remain in the closed position or open position? they open. If you go to the seashore, within a few days, the top half separates from the bottom half. So we do not get conditions like this today. So why is it the vast majority of fossil clams that we find are all in the closed position? Is that millions of years waiting to be buried? Or is that catastrophe, a rapid burial lots of water? So when I look at the evidence, I see that, hey, it actually supports the biblical account much better. Look at that. See all these clamps? They're all in a closed position. Here's more. Why is that? You see, it's like this cartoon says, I wasn't even dead yet. It happened so quickly. I couldn't even open up. See, when I see evidence like that, that supports the biblical account much better. The Bible says that there was a worldwide flood. And if there was a worldwide flood, what would you expect to see? Millions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down by water all over the earth. And isn't that exactly what we see? You see, in 2 Peter, it says this knowing this, first of all, the scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. What's that? Unbelievers, they come mocking the Bible. And it says, following their own evil desires, they will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. What's that? The idea of long, gradual process, no catastrophe, uniformitarianism. And then it continues. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of this, the world that then existed was deluge of water and perish. In the last days, Marcus, Unbelievers will come along and they'll deny the worldwide flood, but it doesn't just stop there, because notice what it says: they deliberately overlook this fact. What does that mean? Well, if you have to deliberately overlook the fact, it means that with the right biblical glasses, the right worldview, you should be able to see evidence everywhere. But you say, "Oh, come on! I've looked at those rock layers and you know Grand Canyon." That rock lace, that must have taken millions of years to have formed, right? How many of you here were around when Mount St. Helens erupted? In 1980, some of you. Well, what's interesting here, you see that Mount St. Helens, it did not blow its top, it actually blew its side. And when that happens, something very interesting happened. You see this picture here and the the man for scale? Well, this entire layer was formed in just three different events in three days, each one taking less than a day. The first layer, this was when the volcano erupted. And that's the second layer. This second layer was when it blew its side, hot ash and debris went down the mountainside. And this whole layer, the second layer, formed in just three hours. Okay, Let us zoom into this layer. Do you see that? See, if you open any geology textbook, they tell you all those Laminations, all those lines, those must have taken one year to form. So, this must have taken tens of thousands of years to form. But we saw the entire thing forming in just three hours, not millions of years. And the top layer, that was when a mud flow went through that area. See, friends, you do not need millions of years if you have catastrophe and flood and lots of catastrophic uh, conditions. So, look at that. Isn't that similar to what's in the Grand Canyon? But you say, come on, I've been the Grand Canyon. Maybe those rock layers could have formed quickly, but you know, I, I know that's the Colorado River. That must have taken thousands and thousands of years to carve out that whole river, right? Shall we go back to Mount St. Helens again? Do you remember the top layer, the mud flow? That's it, at the top. You see, when that mud flow occurred in just one day, it also carved out an entire canyon. And this canyon is actually called Little Grand Canyon. Why? Because it's 140th the size of the Grand Canyon in just one day. Friends, Mount St. Helens is a small volcano. Can you imagine what a worldwide flood would have done? In fact, you see the same thing. You see the high sites and the little river that goes through? This is Little Grand Canyon. that was formed in one day. Did this little river take millions of years to cover up the canyon? No. The river was what was left after the catastrophe. And isn't that what we see? But you say, okay, so maybe those, that canyon could have formed quickly, the rock layers could have formed quickly, but those things contain fossils, and don't fossils take millions of years to form? Has anyone ever wondered about that? Well, how does a fossil form? Well, if you go to any museum in the world, this is one of the pictures that they'll show you. A dinosaur dies and then he sinks to the bottom of the ocean, and millions of years later, he's slowly being buried, and that's all the rock layers that you see there. And finally, one day due to erosion, or maybe construction, you're building a road, the bones are exposed, and you get a fossil. But does that make sense? Has anyone seen documentaries of of the ocean floor? Is the ocean floor covered with millions of fish waiting to be buried? No. Why not? Why not? Well, let's try a little experiment. So here we have Freddy the fish, right? So Freddy is swimming along, and when no one's looking, you take a few drops of cyanide. <laughs> yeah, poor Freddy, right? Well, if this orchid in the ocean, what happens? Other fish come along, it floats to the top. Other fish comes, bites it. Within two or three days, scraps and pieces fall to the bottom. Lobster scavengers come along, and within a few weeks, nothing is left. So how then do you get a fossil? Scientists decided to do an experiment. So, here they actually took a, a pig carcass and they tied it down in deep water, cold waters, low oxygen waters. This is off the, the west coast of Canada. You think that something like that will not decay quickly. They tied it down so it will not float. They put a big cage so that fish will not eat that. Big fish will not eat that. They just wanted to see what scavengers like lobsters would do to a pig like that. The next picture you see is the same pig one week later, seven days later. Do you see that? Do you see how scattered the bones are? The way it falls apart? You'll never get a nicely preserved fossil. So how then do you get a fossil as preserved as this? Instead, when I look at this, I know that it's a female. This is a marine reptile. Now how do I know it's a lady or a female? Notice this thing here? It's actually giving birth. Okay? I know you ladies, you have stories of long labor, Did it take a million years? (laughs) So something like that has to be rapid burial, catastrophe. And we have that in one of Creation Magazine. That's our main publication. So Creation Magazine, there you go. Do you think you can take something like that and pass it to an unbelieving friend and say, see, evidence. So how then do you get a fossil? Well, let's go back to Freddy the fish, right? So here's Freddy. When no one is looking again, you take a pot of sediments, dump it over him in a short period of time, loss of water in the right conditions, you might actually get a fossil. So when you think of a fossil, that's not evidence of millions of years waiting to be buried. That's catastrophe, flood conditions, exactly like what you would expect if there was a worldwide flood. Look at these two fish. Do you see that? One fish is eating the other. How long does fish take to eat its breakfast? Millions of years? Surely not. And in fact, this, is an, um, this came out in October last year, but it only hit the news very, really big in January. And what you're looking at here is that here you have um, brain tissue in a dinosaur that was preserved. When they look under the microscope, they could still see microscopic structures preserved in there. How long does brain tissue survive? Millions of years? Surely not. And what about this petrified teddy bear? Here is a taliban that's actually turned to stone in just three to five months. In fact, I have a bear over here from the very same spring. This is in the UK, three to five months. You do not need that long. How do they make that? They put that under a spring, a mineral spring, in three to five months. Remember, lots of water, minerals, flood conditions in three to five months. In fact, in in Scientific American, this is in um, an article from 1889, so they actually wrote about this spring. And in the past, you know, people they were not so politically correct. So they would, if you look at what it says here, they were used to preserve things like fox, cat, dogs, birds, lobsters, like you see here, and things like that. In one of the cases, a cat was so completely fossilized that when they broke off the head, no organic material was left. It was completely turned into stone. Okay? This is a fossilized paper rose. That's what I have here. So I have some of these fossils over here. You can come and take a look at them at the table. This took how long? Anybody want to guess? Two weeks. Two weeks to form. This from the Czech Republic. And I have the same bear here that was made in the very same spring as well. Just two weeks, not millions of years. Lots of water, minerals, and flood conditions. See, friends, you do not need millions of years if you have a worldwide flood And think about it, if there was indeed a worldwide flood, and even if there was millions of years, that would have destroyed all the evidence of the millions of years that was there. It would have laid down new layers. But if there was a worldwide flood and laid down those layers, those layers cannot be evidence of millions of years. How many of you have actually heard of this? This is what they call polystrate trees, petrified forests. Anybody? Some of you? So what are these? Is that you have all these rock layers, and you have all these tree trunks growing through them evolutionists will say that, oh, this grew in place. But does that make sense? If you notice one thing, most of these trees do not have much leaf, do not have much roots. Most of them do not have much bark. So how then do these things form? So this is what it will look like. Well, when Mount St. Helens erupted, it blew its side. It blew all these trees into a nearby lake, and they started floating there. And because of the catastrophe, they were blown off. Many of them do not have roots. Many of them do not have much leaves. As they float on the water, they rub against one another. And within a few weeks, the bug fell to the bottom. And in a few months, low-grade coal was forming. And then the tree that was floating there, the root end became waterlogged first, and then they began to tilt. And that's what you're looking at over here. In a short period of time, they would sink to the bottom. And that's what it is. again, Flood conditions, not millions of years. Think about it. If it was, this is wood. If it was millions of years, it would have decayed away. And people think have this idea that you know, high-grade black coal, look at this. Coal doesn't take millions of years. High-grade black coal can be made. You just take lignin, which is the main component of wood, some um, ac- activated clay water, and heat this to 300 degrees. That is really not much of a geological process. In 4 to 36 weeks, you can get high grade coal forming. (laughs) Same thing with oil. Algae, water, heat, and pressure. In just one hour, you can get oil. In fact, the highest quality oil that you have, you need 80 to 90% of water. Does that sound like a flood condition to you? So, how do these things form? Millions of years? Or does the evidence support the biblical account much better? See, what does the Bible say? The Bible says God created the world in six days. Day five, sea creatures, flying creatures. Day six, land, animals, and man. And day four, here, right? But if you notice one thing, some, people, some Christians, they're, they're, they want to, to try to stretch these days into millions of years. Well, the language in the Bible doesn't allow you to do that, but it's even worse. Because if you notice, the, the plants were actually created one day before the moon, star, and sun. Well, if this was just one day, that would not have been a problem. But if this was a million years, you have millions of years before a plant without a sun. it's even worse than that because the whole order of creation contradicts the evolutionary story. So there's no way you can put the two together. But if you start from the Bible, it doesn't just stop with Adam being created on day six. Because the Bible gives us the genealogy from Adam all the way to Jesus. Jesus is called the last Adam because he's the descendant of the first Adam. Sin and death came in through the first Adam with Christ. He came to defeat that. He came as the last Adam. And because the Bible gives us a genealogy, you cannot put millions of years in between that. But it's more than that because the Bible doesn't just stop with a, chronolo- with a genealogy. It gives us a chronogenealogy. What is that? A genealogy with numbers. So the Bible tells us the age of each father when he had his next son and so on. You can trace it all the way from Adam all the way to Joseph. And then we know when Joseph lived. We know when was exiled. We know when was Exodus, We know when Jesus lived. It's just a a matter of adding that together. There can be no gaps when the age is given like that. Adam had to be there 6,000 years ago. You see, there are two completely different worldviews. If you start with the circular worldview, right, evolution, they believe the world is 13.7 billion years. If you draw a timeline, just like that, according to evolution, 13.7 billion years, and um, man came in the last 200,000 years. Or even if you go to the last common ancestor, according to evolution, 6.5 million years, as Richard Dawkins like to say. In a 13.7 billion year old universe, where would Adam and Eve have come in? If they were there, 6 million years ago, at the end of creation. But if you start with the Bible, and the Bible says that, we are a 6,000-year-old universe. He created, when would Adam and Eve have been? Day six. Man would have been at the start of creation. So two very different worldviews. One man comes in at the end, one man's at the beginning. Well, what does Jesus believe? See, when Jesus was teaching on creation, it's teaching on marriage, he says this, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Jesus affirmed a young earth. Do you believe Jesus? He says this in John 3, If I tell you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And Paul in First Corinthians 15, he says this, For by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. Paul calls um, Jesus, the last Adam. He came to undo sin, death, and suffering. He came in through the first Adam. And in verse 26 it says, the last enemy to be abolished is death. Death is an enemy into this world. There was a perfect creation. Death came in and one day because of what Christ did on the cross, death will be defeated, It will be destroyed. And if you are a believer, you are in Christ. One day there's a restoration, there's a hope, there's no more death, suffering, disease. You see, One of the things that unbelievers like to say is that if a God is a God of love, why is there death and suffering? But who is the one that has a problem with death and suffering? Is it really the Christian? Well, the Christians say that God created the world that was good, but death and suffering entered, and one day if you're in Christ, all this will be done away with. But if you're an evolutionist, what do evolutionists believe? They believe that all this death and suffering was there from the very beginning. So they say death and suffering is bad, but in the evolutionary worldview. Death and suffering is actually a good thing that leads to man. So the problem of evil is not a problem for the Christian worldview. It's a problem for the evolutionists. See, when I look at those rock layers, what are in those rock layers? Fossils, and what are they? It's evidence of death, disease, and suffering. See, when I look at dinosaur fossils, you see evidence of cancer, arthritis, broken bones, bite marks. So Here's a dinosaur um, tailbone, actually, with um, arthritis. Backbone. And here you have thorns, fossilized thorns and thistles. Do you remember what the Bible says? Thorns and thistles came in after the fall, not before the fall. And what did animals eat at the very beginning? The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1 that when God created everything at the very beginning, what did they eat? Plants. All animals at the beginning ate plants. There was no death, no suffering, no disease. All these things only came in after the fall. But you see, if you believe in evolution, as I said, from the very beginning, death and struggle and suffering leads to man. In evolution, death, struggle and suffering is supposed to be a good thing. (coughs) And so that is why you cannot put evolution and millions, you cannot even put millions of years into the Bible. Because the millions of years come from the rock layers. The rock layers contain death, disease and suffering. Evidence of that. Is that very good? See, millions of years, if you put that before the Garden of Eden, that just destroys what the Bible says, destroys the foundation of the gospel. Death, disease, and suffering is an enemy that will be defeated. It is not very good. Evolution teaches death, struggle, and suffering leads to man. The Bible says man's action brought death, disease, and suffering into the world. Like I say, many uh, well many Christians, they try to put millions of years in the Bible. But it doesn't matter which position you take, because the moment you put millions of years into the Bible, you're appealing to the fossil record and putting death, disease, and suffering before Adam. That destroys the very purpose for why Christ came. This is uh, Frank Ziegler. He was the former president of the American 80s. And he says this in a debate. He says if there never was an Adam and Eve, there never was an original sin. If there never was an original sin, there's no need for salvation. If there's no need for salvation, there's no need for savior. And I submit that puts Jesus, historical or otherwise, into the ranks of the unemployed. I think that evolution is absolutely the death now of Christianity. Do you know what? He is right. If evolution is true, Christianity cannot be true. But may I suggest that if Christianity is true, evolution cannot be true. So why did Christ come to die on the cross? to undo the works that came in through the first Adam. You see, many churches we go to today, they, they always like to say, we are a gospel-centered church, we are a gospel-centered church. But what does it mean to be a gospel-centered church? And can you be a gospel-centered church if you have already undermined the very foundation upon which the gospel stands? So at the end of the day, what is your authority? Is it the word of God? See, I believe you start with God's word, everything begins to make much more sense. And I already shown you this. Jesus say, if I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So, um, before I round up, this is Creation Magazine. This is something that we uh, publish a lot. Um, so, in fact, it's our best-selling resource. So people ask, why Creation Magazine? Why not a book? Well, the books are good as well. But put it this way. Um If you're going to buy a book for an unbelieving friend, what does he do? Well, if you're honest to yourself, most of them will just put the book on the bookshelf and will not read it. You get them a glossy magazine, you see what they do with it, right? (laughs) (laughs) And um, you see, this is a quote by um, a leading Christian researcher. She says this, She studies find that the main reason people abandon the Christian upbringing is unanswered intellectual questions. The researchers were surprised. they expected to hear a story of relationship issues. People saying they have been hurt or emotionally wounded. But the reason given most often by those who deconvert is that they could not get answers to their doubts and questions. See, So why do two and three fall away? Is this the biggest intellectual stumbling block? Let's go back to Tommy. We saw Tommy earlier on. What about millions of years? What about fossils? What about dinosaurs? Friends, imagine now... F- Tommy has all these answers. He say. come, let me show you from the Bible. Do you think his witnessing will be far more effective now? And that's why we use Creation Magazine. Here's a testimony. We get testimonies like this in our database. We have a database where we share with everyone almost every day. Life's being changed because of this information. He says this, At first I shunned the belief of my parents, but after living on my own for two years with the aid of a copy of a magazine which I was given one day, I realized I was the one who was wrong and I asked for salvation. So in a moment's time, I would like um, the volunteers to hand out a sign-up sheet. So this is for Creation Magazine. Unfortunately, this is not free. You have to pay for it. Um, But same thing, just write your name, address, and because we need more details now, this is to prevent a long queue at the book table after that. Just select whether you want one year or three years. And uh, there's an option you can select on that form, which gives you a digital um, option. And what is that? It means we'll give you the hard copy and we we'll give you an email link with five digital copies of our email, uh, of a magazine. So, for example, today I decide to send a copy to my grandmother. I can just forward that to her and she can read the whole magazine. So one year and three years. And just as incentive, we only do this in talks. You go to our website, you will not find this. If you sign up for one year, um, fill your details, tear off this corner and keep this corner. Bring that to the book table later on. So if you sign up for that, if the co- we, you present this, what you get one year, you get one free back issue of Creation Magazine. So a lot of the things I, I talk about today, they are in this magazine here. And if it's three years, you get a back issue, Creation Magazine. You get this two DVD set, Creation Not Confusion. And there will be a lecture by my CEO, very similar to what you hear today, but a much longer version in two DVDs. And you get a third DVD by Dr. John Sanford, How Darwin Got It Wrong. Any of you here are in the life sciences or in agriculture? Well, if you are, if you have heard of the name of Dr. John Sanford. He is the one who actually, he was a former prof- professor in Cornell University in genetics, um, and he actually invented the gene gun. So the gene gun is what they use to inject genes into cells, genetic- genetically modified um, crops and things like that. So John Sanford used to be an evolutionist, now he's a creationist, and he's actively involved with creation research. So just a reminder, take that corner to the book table. So, um, volunteers, if you want, you can hand out the sign-up sheets. So let me just share with you something interesting from Creation Magazine. You see, one of the things that we have a lot, we get a lot is, what about radiometric dating? Don't those dating methods show us the Earth is millions of years old? Well, let us take a look at it, and this is something from the magazine. So potassium argon. So, you know, when Mount St. Helens erupted, a few years after it erupted, a lava dome formed at the top. And so we know how old this rock is. So Scientists took this rock, they sent it to a lab and they tested. The rock tested to be 350,000 years. Then they took the rock, they grind it up, separate that into its different minerals, fell spar, 340,000 years. 900,000 years. 1.7 to 2.8 million years. Friends, this is the same rock. How old was this rock? <laughs> 10 years old. And It's not just one isolated case. In fact, we have done this in, um, I'm not sure if you can see it from there, but in volcanoes all around the world, scientists have done that. You can see on the left side, Hawaii, Sicily, California, Arizona, New Zealand, and you have the dates, some 200 years, some 50 years, some 1,000 years. And on the right side, you have the radiometric dates, millions of years old. Friends, if in every single case of rock of known ages, we get the wrong dates, what makes you think this will we will get the right dates when we use this of rocks of unknown ages. See, this is um, a leading um, atheistic philosopher, and he's quite candid about this. He says, he admits, he said, I want atheism to be true, and I am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in a God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. Why is that? See, friends, if there's a God, there's a creator. We are his creation. We are answerable to him. One day, we will have to face him and give an account for our lives. Are you right before God? Here's another one. This is actually one of my favorite um, things. that I actually have a whole talk on dinosaurs, which I'm not giving today, but these are just some of the highlights. So this is one of the things we published in Creation Magazine. So an evolutionist, Dr. Mary Schweitzer, she actually found a T-Rex bone. But because the bone was so big, she wasn't able to transport it, she had to break it into smaller pieces. And when she broke open, she saw something interesting. What did she see? She see dinosaur soft tissue. Look at that. She says flexible, resilient when stretched, returned to its original shape. And look here, what's that? Red blood cells. How long do red blood cells last? And since that time, we have so much new examples of soft tissue coming out. Here we have duck bill dinosaur, not just in one, not just a T-Rex, bill, trisavotops, T-Rex. Red blood cells, how long can those things last? Not millions of years. And here we have bone cells, you see that? And these are done by evolutionists. Can you even see the nucleus that is there? She said this, it was totally shocking, I didn't believe it until we've done it 17 times. 17 times? Why would anybody do an experiment 17 times? Do you want to know why? Because she's starting with a worldview of evolution and millions of years. And what she's seeing before her very eyes just doesn't allow her to explain it away. And here's another researcher she's, um, who, who looks at um, skin. As she's excavated the fossils, I realized this is not ordinary. This is real skin. Everyone involved in excavation was ex- incredibly excited. Dinosaur skin that is preserved, not completely fossilized. Look at that. He says it was, as, and this is Mary Schweitzer, the, the one who found the T Rex bone. She's saying the same thing. It was, looking, it was exactly like looking at a slice of modern bone. But I said to the lab technician, the bones, after all, are 65 million years old. How could blood, su- blood cells survive that long? Well, can I suggest something? Could it be that maybe those bones are not 65 million years old? And here's more. Unmineralized dinosaur bones. Alaska, Alberta, East Canada, USA. Protein, calcium. And here's um, a world famous evolutionary biologist in who is an expert on dinosaurs? He said these dinosaur bones are not always permineralized. However, in that, so he's saying, what he's saying here is that most dinosaur bones are actually, you see, for all intents and purposes, cannot be distinguished from modern bones. They're not completely fossilized all the way through. In fact, if you look at this bear over here that was made in two weeks, this is actually more petrified than most of the dinosaur bones that you find out there. Collagen, elastin, laminin. 80 million years so? old. And in fact, in January this year, another report in the account said that, oh, they found collagen in dinosaur bones, which they claim were 195 million years. What's the problem with that? See, it's an easy thing to actually go into the lab and see how long these proteins take to degrade. And we know that from science, science that we know, under the best conditions, the maximum upper limit that collagen, which is a protein, can last. 300,000 to 900,000 years max. How can this be almost 200 million years old? Science tells us this cannot last that long. And dinosaurs did not live in freezing conditions. If dinosaurs live in temperate climate, the maximum upper limit of that is 15,000 years. Yet we have so many examples, one after another. So Dr. Mary Swison says this, when you think about the laws of chemistry and biology and everything else we know says that these things should be gone. It should be degraded completely. What is she saying? Operational science tells us these things cannot be there. But it's there. In fact, since then, we have more than 50 cases of dinosaur soft tissue. In fact, it seems that almost every other month now um, we have a new example the June issue of National Geographic just had an armored dinosaur with soft tissue preserved in there. The May issue, in May, we had another publication of another armored dinosaur where it also had soft tissue preserved. So many examples almost every other month coming out in the literature now. These things cannot be millions of years old. And what about carbon dating? How many of you here have wondered about carbon dating? You see, many people think that carbon dating gives you the idea of millions of years. It doesn't. Why? Why? Because what is carbon, da- what is carbon dating? Well, if you have carbon-14, which is a radiometric carbon, it decays away. But the thing is that the half-life of carbon-14 is 5,730 years. Well, what, what does that mean? It means it decays away so quickly. So if you have any fossil that has carbon-14, after 100,000 years, maximum, it will be gone. It should not be there. If the entire Earth was one solid piece of carbon-14, in less than a million years, it would be all gone. But yet we have dinosaur bones that contain carbon-14. And this has been the literature tested a lot, many examples now. And then now we have dinosaur DNA. DNA is a really unstable molecule. Again, it cannot be millions of years old. From dinosaur, from, from DNA, we know dinosaurs not ancient right? Bones. Well, I have an entire dinosaur talk, which I am not covering today. But things like that, soft tissue, um, you know, um, DNA, carbon-14, these things support the biblical worldview so much better. Friends, trust in the word of God. It can be trusted. That can be your authority. So this um, Creation Answers book, Beside the Creation Magazine, please look at this book. It's the number two that I will uh, recommend. What is this? Top 65 questions people have on creation. So all the questions we had earlier on, carbon 14, more about dinosaurs, how the animals feed on the ark, where they can get his wife, what about the sons of God in Genesis, they're all in this one book. So when I sometimes I give like presentation, like a one hour QA presentation, 95% of your questions actually come from this book. So friends if you want to equip yourself to train your kids, this is one of the books you want to start with. It comes with a starter pack. It comes with refruiting evolution. This is a book that's written to refruit high school um, evolution. So what does it cover? Natural selection covers will evolution, bird evolution, human evolution. So if your kids are in high school, this is something you want to look at as well. Evolution Ecclesiastes Hill. Anyone has seen this? Some of you? Evolution Ecclesiastes Hill is actually, in my opinion, the best uh, Christian DVD, in my opinion, on creation and evolution. We have actually won two Christian film awards on this. So if you want the strongest evidence against evolution in one DVD, um, it's in this one volume. It comes with a book that goes into more depth as well, and a packed price. So you say, what, what about a commentary on Genesis? Well, I have read every major commentary on Genesis. This is the one I recommend, the uh, Genesis account. It's, in my opinion, the best on Genesis 1-11. to Just under 800 pages. covers science, theology, history, church history. And Dragon's a picture book that talks about... um, you want to know more about dinosaurs? How many of you know that there are actually dinosaur engravings around the world? that pre-existed so-called age in the 1800s when we discovered dinosaurs. I have a replica of one of them over there. You can come and take a look at that. You'll find out more of that in this book here. And you have kids, upper elementary and above. This is a really good book, Exploring Dinosaurs. But this is actually my favourite book for all the dinosaur talks. I always (sighs) recommend this book. Why? You want to find out more about the soft tissue, more about all those things we talk about dinosaurs. This is the book to go to. It's just written this year, so it's very up to date on the science. So friends, how many of you know that there's actually a worldview, a battle for souls out there? One evolution, one um, the Christian worldview on the Bible. So the Bible talks about seven seas of history. God created the world, creation, and the curse. That's sin and death that entered the world. Then catastrophe, a worldwide flood, confusion. That's Tower of Babel. And then the covenant, Mount Sinai, and Christ come in, die on the cross, and one day there will be a future restoration. See, the whole thing comes in as one whole. We cannot break one without affecting the other part. But the sad thing is this most people only get to hear one side of the story. But there are answers. All these books that you see here, that's only a small portion of the books that we bring, less than 5% of what we have in our warehouse. It cannot be very frank with you guys... I do not get any commission from selling the books. And we do not make much money from the books. Why? Because when we come here, I come from Georgia, we have to ship all these books here and ship it back. So why do we sell books here? Do you remember what I said at the beginning? You know, we are here because we are here to equip the church. How are you guys going to be equipped except if you get these resources to train yourself? See, my friend, he was so excited when he heard this message. He said, how can I reach... A campus of 20,000 people who have a negative view of God, Christianity, and religion. Do you know what? Me standing here one hour on a Sunday, I cannot do that. But do you know who can? If every single one of you here in church make that commitment, say, yes, I will train myself so I can reach out to my friends, my colleagues, my kids. If every one of you do that, we can reach this together. And friends, I would like to end my talk today, but let me end with this challenge to you. But in your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Friends, make this commitment today. Say, yes, I will train myself because my friends, my kids, my family, these are important people. Reach them with the gospel. Thank you.